If you're a fan of big ideas, debate, and politics, check out our festival partner, Geopolitical Magazine Foreign Policy. A forum for informed debate about global affairs, foreign policy keeps a finger on the pulse of world news and political happenings. Beyond articles that delve behind the headlines via traditional reporting, Foreign Policy has so many other products to offer, ensuring that no matter how you like to engage with eye-opening content, there is a method for you. Check out their free offerings, like Foreign Policy Live, their forum for live journalism, newsletters, and podcasts. And with a subscription, unlock in-depth features and quarterly magazines, including their recently dropped spring edition, All About India. Fans of IAI will love Foreign Policy for more of the mind-expanding, insightful content that they seek. To explore their content, take advantage of an exclusive discount for IAI fans. Subscribe now using promo code LIGHT24 to save 50% and unlock access to everything Foreign Policy has to offer. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Philosophy for Our Times, a podcast brought to you by the Institute of Art and Ideas. This month we've been talking about wisdom and foolishness, and bringing you some of the most contentious arguments in scientific thought, such as last week when Rupert Sheldrake contemplated whether the sun was conscious. Before science became sacrosanct, it was religion that we turned to for the answers. In this week's debate, we'll be asking what place religion or spirituality holds in today's society. On the panel are Eileen Barker, Professor of Sociology at LSE, Phil Rickman, a supernatural and mystery novelist, and Ariane Shireen, writer, columnist and Dawkins collaborator. Angela Saini hosts. This debate is titled, intriguingly, Weird and Wonderful. Belief in organized religion continues to fall, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that we're necessarily all becoming atheists or rationalists. All over the country, interest in paganism and spirituality is increasing. So that's what we're going to explore today. So, first of all, is interest in spirituality growing because there's something in it that is essential to us? Eileen? Well, essential to us, essential in what way, I think we've got to ask. I mean, if you say everybody must have it, then it isn't true unless you do it ontologically, where you say man or woman is a spiritual being, and therefore they must be spiritual, in which case it's not very meaningful. But spirituality is something that's certainly talked about far more than it was, say, 20 years ago. And there are lots of variations that one finds. Spirituality can mean very, very different things to different people. You get people who are both religious and spiritual, and of course you've had that throughout the years. You've had the mystics in um, Christianity and the Sufis and what have you, and that's nothing new. But what is new to some extent, or at least that we don't really understand, is people who say that they're spiritual but not religious. And there are a lot of those. Then there are those that say they're neither religious nor spiritual as well. They just deny that they are. So you can be both or one or the other, etc. All these options are open. But they may all be meaning something different. I think the sort of spirituality that we're trying to talk about today is the kind of new age spirituality that has become very Californian in a way. And this is where people are looking for the God within rather than a transcendent man in the clouds or something, the old white man in a white beard. It's very much individual oriented. I I try to find something that's beyond but within myself. 
I've personal experience rather than somebody else's revelation is important. I don't want to listen to other people's authority. It's my own responsibility. I don't see time as creation and then some sort of great big apocalyptic ending or something. But the important thing I think to stress is it's individualism. Uh, you can't just say to somebody, are you spiritual, and then think you know something about them unless you ask them what it means to them. Is it Mozart that they find there's something spiritual that resonates with them and takes them beyond themselves? Is it the environment? All kinds of things. Do they do rituals and are they organized in any way? On the whole, they tend to be networking uh, if they do have anything to do with anybody else rather than part of a hierarchical authoritarian structure as you find in the Abrahamic religions. And in many ways, they're very like Eastern religions or more like Eastern religions or at least more like part of Eastern religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, etc., or perhaps even Shinto. You, you get all these different mixtures. There's a kind of supermarket where people go and say, well, I'll have that and I'll have that because that fits with me. This makes me identify myself with myself and yet be somewhere beyond. And I think that's probably what we're talking about rather than the mystics, Ignatius of Loyola and the spiritual exercises. I mean, that, that's another kind of spirituality which is far more controlled uh, in, in, in many ways. I don't know that I'm, that I'm absolutely certain that religion as such is, is growing. You know, I, I think, you know, traditional churches are closing down faster than pubs. But, yeah, I do think that at, at the basis of, of, of all our consciousness, there is a yearning for transcendence, if you like, to become something bigger than what we are. So is football a religion? It's got the dogma, it's got the rituals, it's got the hymns, and it's got this huge congregation. And it's got all these people who want to be part of something bigger. Essentially, we don't want to believe that the greatest forces ruling this planet are people like Donald Trump. <laughs> we like to think that there is something above all this that perhaps we can make contact with. Otherwise, what the hell is the point of being here? I find it quite hard to debate about spirituality because I don't really think it means anything. It is incredibly vague. I think people who say, you know, I'm spiritual but not religious, don't want to put their balls on the line and say, I believe in a God, I believe in a doctrine, a school of thoughts, a code of morals and ethics, a set of beliefs. Um, whereas religious people have a very binary sort of unswervable sense of right and wrong. They believe, for instance, maybe sex before marriage is wrong, homosexuality is wrong, abortion is wrong, but going to worship regularly is right, and sex for procreation within marriage is right, and having unshakable faith in a God and gods is, is right. But... People who are spiritual are very vague about what it actually means, you know. Is it a sense that everything happens for a reason? Um, I'd say that's a very dangerous belief that kind of maligns the suffering of people who have terminal diseases uh, or people who are starving. 
Or is it a general tuning in to the vagaries of the universe? It kind of remains unclear. I think people who are spiritual are basically just saying, I'm not an atheist. Because they think that being an atheist is bleak. They think it's cold. They think it's overly rational and, uh, no pun intended, soulless. So yes, to be an atheist is to admit that life's random and that we will never have another life other than the one that we're living now and that we will never see our loved ones again after we die. All these things are likely to be true, but they're very uncomfortable for a lot of people. And rather than accept these inconvenient truths, they'd rather leave things somewhat open so we have spirituality. And I think it's quite a dangerous concept in some ways because its lack of definition leaves gullible people open to charlatans and fraudsters and psychics and healers and homeopaths and people who read auras. And it can be a bit more innocuous. It can be about meditation and mindfulness and deep breathing. But every time science tries to find evidence for the efficacy of any of these things above, whether it's sort of psychic reading or, or homeopathy or any of these things, it draws a blank and it debunks them. And uh, I would say this would suggest that there's nothing in spirituality that's essential to us. I am sympathetic to people's urge to find meaning in their lives, but I would suggest the meaning of life is what you give it, the people you choose to love, the pursuits you embrace, the ideas you nurture, the person you become through your every word and action. And funnily enough, when we accept that this is the only life we'll ever have and that the natural world is real and the supernatural world isn't, we cherish both life and the world so much more than if we are constantly questing for a spirituality which doesn't and never will exist. If modern forms of spirituality like paganism are on the rise, which uh, we assume there is a resurgence, I mean, for my part, in my flat in North London, <laughs> in our apartment building, we have, um, there is a white witch and there are a few pagans, which I've learned very recently. Um, so there does seem, at least anecdotally, to be an increase. Um, what is it then? What kind of factors are influencing this rise? What is it that people are turning to? What is making them turn away from atheism or religion and making them more spiritual? Eileen, you've done hard research on this as a sociologist, so you understand the data, I hope, behind it. What, is, what reasons do people give for wanting to become more spiritual? Well, there are lots of different reasons. I mean, as we sort of suggested, the spirituality can mean different things to different people. I, I think you can both see that there's been a rise in demand and a rise in supply. Um, the demand in part, I think, is because in modern society, we have very rapidly changing structures. We don't have the same job as our parents did. I mean, very few of our grandparents were electronic engineers or computer experts. We don't live in the same village or the same place. I mean, some people might stay in Hereford um, for a few generations, but generally, there's an awful lot of movement. So people's experiences of life are different from those of the grandparents. And what made sense to the grandparents as part of the sort of given is no longer there. They're needing something else to make sense of meaning of their life, to give it, give it something. So they're looking to some extent, or they can be made to look, which is, is another aspect. And then the supply has increased enormously. When, when you were at the little village, you didn't really know about anything else. You, you'd never met a Hindu. Whereas now at school or at work, 
you might be sitting next to a Muslim on one side and an atheist on another and pagan behind you and what have you. And the media, the mass media, is telling us and bringing in a globalized society all sorts of new ideas and making these available as a resource out there. So to go back to the metaphor I used about the supermarket, it, it's really full. It isn't like Soviet times. You know, you've got two biscuits and that's it. You, you've got the whole lot laid. And then social media, it's all buzzing round. And so people will take things that will help them, they believe. And I believe that a lot of them do help. I mean, there are the nasties that you talked about. But there are also people who I think do get something very real, which, I mean, uh, for me, Beethoven or Mozart provide something that I could call spiritual, which takes me beyond and out of myself. Before I came here this afternoon, I was sitting, looking down at the river, and that was a sort of kind of spiritual experience. I mean, it wasn't terribly meaningful in my life in one sense, but I just felt there was something about which I could feel awe. And I think, call it spirituality if you want, or don't. Um, I, I'm not sure what spirituality means. I, I really don't know except that I do know that it means different things to different people. And I don't think it's an all or nothing. I mean, some people are very spiritual and they've got this sort of aura around them and they're really scary um, because you're not spiritual like they are and they, they feel this. And other people, you know, they're just sort of natural in a way which has something that's beyond just me. You touched on this. So this idea of people wanting to go back to nature and seeing something in nature that speaks to them, almost. Would you call yourself spiritual? I'd like to think I would. But equally, I, I can, you know, I can see the, like, the slightly silly side of <laughs> forms of spirituality. Um, so in what ways are you spiritual? Um, so Eileen was saying, you know, she can look at something beautiful and feel awe. Yeah, is, I mean, I... I I had the, you know, the finest grounding for atheism that you could possibly get. I, you know, I was sent to a Church of England primary school. <laughs> uh, but in, in spite of that, I, I sort of came back to it. And I suppose I, I came back to it through, through journalism, which is strange because we're supposed to be really cynical. I, I sort of wound up as, as the, uh, the Mid-Wales reporter for BBC Wales for nearly 10 years. Um, starting in the, in, the, in the 80s. You know, I was sent to do a hard news story, and I'd spot something else. Because in, in areas like Mid-Wales, there is a sort of inherent spirituality that you wouldn't notice and that people don't talk about. Uh, I, I remember coming across um, a farmer who lived in a farm which was more or less surrounded by Neolithic monuments. They, they had a, an old beer in the attic. And what? An old beer, funeral beer. You know, the sort of oh. the, the, the sort of little cart that you, you push the coffin on. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it, 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 it was sort of a family heirloom. And he said, yeah, he said, um, traditionally, he said, but when somebody dies, you're supposed to hear the beer travel from one side of the attic to the other. And he said, I didn't believe in that. And so one night, 
they heard this sort of trundle, 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 you know, in the attic. And the next day, his father died. And, and I keep, keep coming across these old stories. I mean, things that you would find only in books of folklore. So are you saying that you now believe in ghosts as um, a result of that BBC experience? I've never seen a ghost. But I've found that the people who, who have seen ghosts are not people who particularly want to talk about it. You know, you, you meet all these new, new age people who follow a form of new age spirituality, or whatever it is. And they're the people who haven't seen the ghosts. They're people who'd love to see a ghost, but they haven't seen one. And the people who have seen one are people who are really a bit embarrassed about it. So I, I suppose working in, in this area and being exposed to people who didn't like to talk about these things was strangely convincing. How do you explain that? Oh, it's it? <laughs> well, I'm kind of a bit confused because I definitely don't think I'm a spiritual person. I mean, I love the music of Duran Duran, but I wouldn't say that that's a spiritual experience for me, although Simon Le Bon does anybody. give me strange feelings <laughs> in my body. So <laughs> I would say that, uh, you know, this is all very anecdotal. It's all very vague, um, but I don't feel that I am lacking in any way in my life because I don't embrace anything spiritual. I mean, I've got a five-year-old daughter. She's the best thing in the world. She's hilarious. And uh, we have conversations. And, you know, she says to me, oh, mummy, I never want to die. And I never want you to die. And I say, oh, don't worry, because, you know, you're not going to die for a very long time. And she went, well, I will one day. And I said, yes, but by the time you're, you're 100, they might have found a way to keep you alive, like the immortal jellyfish, because there's <laughs> apparently this jellyfish that, that never dies. I just feel that my life is complete without having recourse to think about reincarnation or to believe in ley lines or to believe... But, but Ariane, for you, it's complete. Right. How, how do we explain the fact that for so many people, it doesn't seem to be complete? Why is it that people are moving from the cities to Hereford, for example, and they seem to be finding something, or even people still living in cities, turning to paganism and other you know, mindfulness or however you want to de define spirituality. Science is not enough, and real life is not enough, what they can see. But who says science is not enough? I mean, for a lot of people, science can be what you might describe as a spiritual experience. I mean, just being in nature or watching documentaries about the natural world, that can be spiritual, surely. So this brings us on to our next question, quite conveniently, science in particular. Now, this is a particular interest to me since, you know, I've studied science and I spend all my time talking to scientists. Does spirituality hold answers that um, science doesn't? Is, is there something beyond... Uh, you know, the measurable and the rational. Eileen? Uh, I think science and the spiritual are asking different questions. So you get different answers to different questions. Of course, it depends what you mean by science and it depends what you mean by spirituality. Again, you've always got to say that. And you've just been turning science into spirituality, which is quite interesting. In what way? Um, what do you mean? Well, your, your description about science and the wonderfulness of it and everything and being awe, in awe of God's 
only it isn't God's world, the world. You, you, you were getting a bit spiritual about that, I Wait, thought. You were in danger. Of... I, said, I said that some people may find it spiritual. Okay. Um, but because we're not pinning down what spiritual means, I suppose yeah. anything could be spiritual. Absolutely, it could. Well, I come from the London School of Economics, and I was a student of Sir Karl Popper, and he defined science as falsifiable, a scientific statement is falsifiable. Not falsified, but falsifiable. And this is because empirically, um, there are problems with this, but just to start off, you can decide whether something is true or not. If I say, I'm going to drop this because of the law of gravity, don't let's ask what gravity is, <laughs> then we can agree if we drop it, I'm not going to... But if, if I were, we would agree that this had happened. But spirituality, we can't agree, obviously. We, we're disagreeing. And partly we're disagreeing because we don't know what we're talking about. But also, I think there is something that we are talking about or trying to sort of grasp that can't be grasped by science if we define science in the Popperian sense strictly. Now, a lot of people, and a lot of people who come here, as I heard last year, do try and take science beyond. And some of them are very, very interesting when they do that. It's I mean, sort of some scientists would say, we can know the mind of God, or we can, under, you, enough to understand creation, the well, meaning of life. Then you're even. defining science in a non-Popperian sense. Yeah. I think it's useful to make the description. It's not right or wrong, it's useful. And I think it's useful to know what we're talking about. I mean, concepts are man-made, occasionally woman-made, but usually man-made. And they're negotiable, you know, what we mean by, and they're manipulated in order to help us in our making our arguments. And I think it's useful to keep science to something that is a connection between empiricism, knowing through the senses, or being testable, and being refutable. Now, if you start saying, I am God incarnate, I can say, I don't think you are, but we can't prove it. No, I assure you I'm not. You're not? <laughs> well, you might be. I might say, I, I recognize you as the Blessed Virgin Mary. I thought that the first minute you came into the green room, I thought, this is the incarnation of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Now, you don't realize it, but I know. <laughs> Arian, so has, that, has that ever happened to you? <laughs> I think I would be, I think we would all be in big trouble if I was <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to hear more from the world's leading thinkers? If the answer to that question is yes, subscribe to iai.tv for unlimited access to thousands of debates, talks, articles, academy courses, and live events. Are you bored of the surface-level news, politics, sports and entertainment coverage on your newsfeed? Go deeper, get the philosophy behind the news and get the latest big ideas from the world's leading thinkers on subjects at the core of the human condition, life, the universe and everything in between. It's free for the first month and there's no commitment to pay, so subscribe now to understand the world beyond the surface level. Wouldn't it be great if the Blessed Virgin Mary reincarnated came and ran the atheist bus company? <laughs> the father of your well, five-year-old daughter might be annoyed. Ariane, mm -hmm. um, 
Science is a way of understanding the world. Yeah. And given that it's a way of understanding that was used and created by humans, even if it has ambitions beyond that, does it have limits? Is there a limit to how much it can tell us about the universe? I think it's very dangerous to rely on anything for which we don't have any evidence. And I think that science is the best method of determining whether something is true or false. And I think when you kind of go, oh, you know, we can't use science for this, we just have to use our feelings, that's worrying because I don't really want to think that something's true because uh, somebody had a, a strange feeling and they could, you know, feel it in their bones or they got the strange tingling sensation and, and they just knew, they just knew. And I, you know. Yeah, but but two, two scientists, you, you're, you know, you will often find two scientists who totally disagree about truth. But about then, the same thing. You know, they, they will have spent years studying it and they'll have come up with entirely different theories. But those theories are often based, well, always based on, on fact. And then if one scientist is disproved, if they're proved wrong, then they will hold up their hands and admit it. They'll go, no, you're absolutely right. Your data confirms your theory. And I've been wrong all my life. And I capitulate. Always. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> Isn't it possible, though, for, for us to be sceptical of, uh, of spirituality? Or, for example, one particular New Age belief or somebody who believes in ghosts, they haven't got the evidence for it. But does that mean that all spirituality is necessarily impossible? That, that there cannot be anything beyond it just because um, science says it's not possible because all these people are wrong? Well, you have to give me a specific example and tell me exactly what you're talking about, and then I will... Well, well what I mean is, just because the people who, who claim to have seen ghosts or to believe in uh, supernatural things, just because they can't prove it, does that mean it's impossible? Pretty because much. science hasn't also proved that it's impossible, has it? No, but you can't, you can't prove a negative, can you? So I would be willing to sit here and say, I don't believe in ghosts. I think it is impossible for there to be a ghost. And this is the moment for there to be a spooky noise up there and <laughs> something white to descend. But yeah. <laughs> so going on to the next question, do we need a new spirituality? If we need something beyond ourselves, if there is some kind of void in our souls that needs to be filled with something, what should that void be then? And Eileen, you've mapped out all, all the different things that people have explored out there. Can you talk about some of them? Well, just to start with, I, I'm worried about when people say people need something. <clears throat> I mean, in order to survive, we need food. There are certain basic needs, but there are a lot of other needs. Some of them we learn because we're socialized, and some of them we feel are innate. We, we, we feel we need love. We feel we need recognition. We feel we need companionship, things like that. Now, do we need spirituality? Well, some people need what they feel is spirituality. Some people don't. You obviously don't. But thousands, millions of people do. And it is very important in their lives. And as a value-free, objective social scientist... <laughs> that wasn't meant to be funny. <laughs> um, I can only say, I believe women. I mean, some of them might be lying. I can't say it's right or it's wrong, but I, and I can say that it's interesting that people who believe that they've seen Krishna are more likely to have been brought up in India than those who see the Blessed Virgin Mary. 
and there are a whole lot of things that you can say are more or less likely. But we have to be what we call methodologically agnostic. We, we can't say it is the case or it isn't. And I think you're diminishing the world and our experience of it by saying it's only whether it's true or false that's important. I celebrate being able to live with not knowing some things and recognizing that people don't know. I mean, I try and find out as far as I can, and I try and test it as a social scientist, if that's not a contradiction in terms. But I don't think it's just, that's true, that's false, and that's it. There's far, far more to our life and the way we live together, the relationships we have. Now, some of that, some people will find or experience as spiritual. Other people can do perfectly well without it. My son-in-law, his religion is Manchester United. And <laughs> I live in Wembley, so I suffer. Um, but, you know, there are different things that make people's life worth living. And it's not their true or false. It's that they have a certain effect. And that might be good or bad. It might be good for you and bad for me. So I, I think we've got to not be too black and white. And that's all there is to it. On the other hand, I don't think we need to say, oh, you know, I accept everything. I spend my life with people believing absolutely crazy things, I think. But they do, and they're intelligent, normal people, apart from these beliefs and practices that they have, which I find imminently resistible. But they're nice people. They're good people. They're intelligent people. And they just have a different worldview from me, and I try to understand it. Nobody ever completely understands somebody else. But you can get away of getting a bit nearer understanding other people's worldviews. And that's the Verstehen, the, the empathic understanding, which isn't anything to do with right or wrong. Mm, Ariane, so one example of the grey area, perhaps, mm. would be that there are a lot of scientists who, do, who are religious, who are spiritual. For example, um, I, I wrote a book about science in India. I was stunned that um, India's, the leaders of India's space program, for instance, would give prayers and take a model rocket to the temple and worship the gods before every launch because they really did believe it would bless the launch and make it successful. Do you think they are putting their beliefs in a box outside their scientific way of thinking then? How does it work, the contradiction? Yeah, I do. I think they are compartmentalising and they have every right to do that and they live in a much more religious society than ours. 93% of Western scientists are atheists. And yes, to me, that suggests that, uh, that scientists who live in the Eastern world are perhaps, yeah, they, they give prayers, you know, when they're launching the rocket and they've got their hands on the controls, you know, they know where to, they're not like being guided by their inner spirituality. Um, they know exactly what each, all of the controls do, or at least I hope they know exactly what all of the controls do. I think that, yes, it's, to go back to your point, Eileen, it's totally people's right to believe whatever they want as long as it doesn't hurt other people or restrict their freedoms. But we each have a finite amount of time in our lives. And uh, when my daughter comes to me and says, you know, why is this guy blue? 
I want to find a, a very precise answer for her and I want her to learn. With questions that are more nebulous, such as, is there a God? I'll say, well, you know, I don't think that, that there's a God in the, for these reasons, but it's up to you to decide what you think. Um, but yes, we have fi a finite amount of time to, to, to love and embrace all the wonder that life has. And uh, if I was at a party and somebody next to me was talking about ley lines, I'd probably be very polite and I'd say, that's very interesting, but I need to go to the toilets. And then I would get up <laughs> and hopefully talk to somebody else. So, whereas I'd say, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems to me that's what, Phil, that's what you did. Well, you encountered these people in the course of your work mm -hmm. and you were taken with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if, if a scientist was, was to come and say, all right, I'll show you a ghost and produce a ghost and show exactly how it's made. I would go off ghost completely. <laughs> I don't think life would be worth living if there wasn't things that we can't understand. And, and, and the, the sort of the joy of mystery, I mean, I, I, think, I think mystery is great. So do you think that we need a new kind of spirituality? Something, no. Something else? We've got far too much spirituality. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 I mean you, you get a, a form of spirituality and then a cult forms and then religion forms and then they fight another cult. So are you saying that spirituality so, inevitably becomes religious and dogmatic? I, 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 think it, I think it's good that we're now allowed to break free of rigid spirituality. Yeah, when I, when I was a kid, you know, there was only one form of Christianity. Um, if you were a Protestant or a Catholic, you had to believe in these things. You can now make up your own mind. And if you don't live in, in Northern Ireland, you're going to be fairly safe. I, I like what Irene was talking about earlier, about the looseness of spirituality. It might take you longer to actually reach some form of transcendence if you have to spend a few years working out which is the best way of doing it. But nonetheless, I think that is a safer way, yeah. So, Eileen, you've... Um, it's, it's often the case, at least in my, on my perception, that people who, are, who do describe themselves as spiritual or new age <coughs> will pick and choose various things to uh, follow or believe in throughout the course of their life and that new things do pop up for them to take interest in. So, for example, mindfulness, which is so popular right now. And is that a necessary process then? Will we always have new things coming up to fill that spiritual void? And do we need those new things? Change happens. I don't think there's a particularly necessary process, but I, I think change is inevitable. What direction it will take, we don't know. And if you could, say, design a new form of spirituality, what would it be? Oh, I'm not that stupid. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this podcast, which was brought to you by the Institute of Art and Ideas. So what do you think? Is science the only comfort we can take from life? Or does spirituality give us the true answers that science cannot? Let us know by tweeting at iii underscore tv with the hashtag Times.